ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Did you know that hailstones have growth rings, kind of like trees? Environmental conditions and even sea breezes can play a role in the formation of large hailstones. How do scientists know this? Well, it's actually everyday Australians that are providing the hail so they can do the research. Senior Research Fellow at the University of Queensland, Joshua Soderholm, tells Abby Holter how collecting and preserving hailstones provides data for scientists across the globe. So I'm part of a sort of a global community of hail scientists and at the moment we're all trying to collect as many of these large hailstones as possible. And that's because only recently we've got this technology which allows us to 3D scan the hailstones and take these really accurate images and representations of them. And this is really useful for the science because for the first time we can start to improve um, the estimates we get from weather radar of giant hail and also the way we model giant hail. Um, And it's important to have these accurate shapes of hail because we actually need this information to run these simulations and get these very accurate um, estimates because the shapes are so complex if you think about it. Small hail is usually more of a sphere. Larger hail tends to get more lobey and the shapes get a bit crazy, to be honest. So we need these accurate accurate models um, to run these simulations and get a much clearer picture of the size from radar and the size from models. How does the public preserve them? Yeah, so what we ask them to do is um, we're particularly interested in hailstones larger than 8 to 10 centimetres. That's sort of very, very large sizes. So we ask them, first of all, stay safe. Don't go out in the storm. If you can can hear lightning, if if it's, of course, still hailing and raining, stay well away, stay inside, stay safe. When it's safe to do so, go outside, um, pick them up, Take a quick picture of them alongside a ruler, ideally, and then put each hailstone in its own sealable frat bag in the freezer. And this is important because hailstones, as they refreeze, they'll tend to stick together, and we definitely don't want that. And also hailstones need to be in a plastic bag because they'll actually um, lose a bit of ice in the freezer through a process called sublimation. So we don't want them getting smaller in people's freezers as well. So that's the two processes, and then UQ, um, we arrange collection um, within the next few weeks. And we've we've collected hailstones um, from Mackay to Melbourne. So then people would, uh, people from UQ would then come to your house and collect them? Yep, that's how we arrange it. So then these recent storms in Queensland, um, Mm. are these quite important then for people to collect these hailstones? What would some of this mean? Um, particularly for the very large sizes. So we're very interested in those sizes because there's just so few globally which have been collected. Um, so we asked particularly people from the recent storm in Gatton. So we had 10 to 12 centimetre events, centimetre hailstones fall on that storm and we're very interested to collect those ones. So we've already arranged collection and we're going out actually on Saturday. Another step we do take um, is we ask people to send us the photos because we want to make sure the hail we're collecting hasn't, people haven't been playing around if it hasn't melted too much. Um, so we also want it to be quite well preserved. And we can tell that from the photos. How different are hailstones in different regions in the world? 
after I've done a lot of travel internationally to look at different to work in different places which have giant hail, and I can say for sure that Queensland gets a lot of giant hail. So we're way up there with um, other places in the world, including the US, which also gets a lot of hail. Um, what makes us quite special in Queensland is we get a lot of hail on the coast. Not many places in the world are similar in that way. And also, what for us, our population lives on the coast. So that means a lot of people actually get impacted by this very large hail. So it can be, of course, very dangerous and devastating, but for us to be able to collect it afterwards, it's very beneficial for the science. They tend to get smaller as you go further south. So New South Wales still gets a few big events. Uh, Victoria gets far fewer events. And the other parts of Australia, South Australia and Western Australia and Tasmania, they're just too dry or too cool. So we don't see as many big hailstorms there. They're quite rare. Senior Research Fellow at UQ, Joshua Soderholm. Thomas Hinterdorfer from Higgins Storm Chasing has been working with UQ on this research and he says the public should get involved. We have a lot of followers and ourselves that uh, obviously collect the hailstones through having storm impacts. And then we're working with the University of Queensland to help preserve those bigger hailstones, ideally in the 10 centimetre plus range. With the advancements of social media and everything, it's really taken off in the last couple of years. Sending it into us, we'll immediately contact UQ and be like, hey, this size stone fell at this location. We'll get the person's number and he'll do the rest from there. So do you recommend that the public does this, particularly at this time where there is quite a lot around? Yes. So we hate seeing the massive hailstorms because obviously that's causing damage and destruction. Since we've got such a large sample size at the moment, the more stones we can collect, the more the research can advance at a much faster rate because you've got more data to work with. As farmers and small businesses count the cost of flooding and cyclone damage in far north Queensland, help is available. That's a message from the Queensland Rural and Industry Development Authority as it activates grants for those affected. I spoke with Rider Disaster Recovery Manager Cherie Finney. So what we're seeing come through the door at the moment is a vast array of different effects from TC Jasper and the rainfall and the flooding that you know, the low that sat over the region for days. It, we've seen wind, we've seen, you know, rainfall. We've also seen, you know, lots and lots of erosion as a result of the flooding that's come through. And at the moment, the people that are calling us tend to be concerned most about that at this point. But um, it's very vast and it's a huge amount of area. It's not just localised to a small area. It's it's quite widespread. In those initial assessments, are you seeing particular industries that are more affected than others? What sort of scale are you seeing for the damage? Yeah, we're, we're actually not seeing um, it isolated to any one industry at all. We're actually seeing, you know, banana growers, cane growers, dairy, cattle, like lots and lots of um, fruit and vegetable growers as well. It's 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 quite, a, you know, a diverse array of industry that's been affected in this one. This is a disaster that hit at Christmas time, which is really tricky. What added complexity does that bring? Oh, I mean, for us, we've worked right through. So we've, you know, got a skeleton staff that are working assessing already. But on the ground, 
the kind of things that I guess people are seeing is, you know, people are away. People weren't potentially even around when it happened. So that's one thing. Plus, you know, getting contractors, a lot of people take time off this year, this time of year, and then they're, they're not on the ground either to get things moving and fixed. So that does, I guess, play a little bit of a, um, you know, a slow start to the recovery, but um, we're all, we're all, you know, it's all hands on deck as much as we can be across all industries. So what support is available? So at the moment, we've got a couple of types of different support. We've got, of course, the disaster assistance loan, which is always the first thing to be activated when there is an event. And the disaster assistance loan it comes in two sort of packages, one for those in, those you know primary production entities that have been directly affected. And what I mean with directly affected, they've got, they have literal physical damage as a result of rainfall as flood water of you know cyclone effects so that's direct impact and those packages are disaster assistance loans and they're up to $250,000 depending on you know depending on need and damage and all of those sorts of things it does get assessed then we also have the disaster assistance loan essential working capital for those producers that were indirectly affected so, so for argument's sake, let's say a really good example of that in primary industry could be a, a dairy farmer. And that dairy farmer didn't necessarily have water damage or, or, or wind damage, but as a result of not having power or, you know, having roads cut, they couldn't get the, the tankers into their property or they had to tip milk down the drain because, you know, they, they, they couldn't get the milk off the farm or they couldn't, you know, those sorts of things are indirect and they can apply for a loan also for those, you know, that that essential working capital because they will have a downfall in their cash flows. The other thing that we've got as well is the grants. So the, um, the Extraordinary Disaster Assistance Recovery Grants, um, you know, I guess internally we call them EDARGs because that's the, um, you know, the EDARG. But those for primary producers are up to $75,000 to assist with the restoration and repair bill that comes along. Given the time of year, and as you mentioned, some people might have even been away, is there a deadline on applying for these grants? What, what action should people take now? Yeah, so look, there's, there's actually no rush. There is actually, at this point in time, six months, it doesn't run out until June. So we've got plenty of time in our, you know, for people to, you know, get everything that's required. Plus the other thing is, and it was, uh, people get, um, I guess, a little bit panicked by the thought of it's going to run out, it's going to run out, but it's not. If you are eligible and you've had damage, there will be money in the pot for them. So there's no, I guess, FOMO. There's no need to rush and panic and do it you know, without being prepared, it's it's good to get all of your ducks in a row and get it applied because the money's not going to run out. It will be there if you need it. And what's the best way for people to contact QRider, contact DAF? How, how should they go about accessing this assistance? Yeah, so I guess, you know, there's, there's a couple of ways to contact us really quickly. The website's always going to be up to date. It's always going to be easiest. There's never going to be any dramas with, you know, contacting somebody on the website. And that's really easy. It's www.qrida.qld.gov.au. So Q-R-I-D-A. But then the other way, there's always somebody online. Um, we work from 8.30 in the morning to 5 o'clock in the evening on one 623 946 
Amazing. Anything else that I haven't covered? Oh, look, the one thing that I really would stress is that people shouldn't be afraid to give us a call. Don't self-assess. If you look at it and you go, you know, I'm definitely not going to be eligible, give us a call anyway. Have a chat. It's, you know, there's, 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 like I said, we did have, a, we do have a staff member that is, you know, wholly and solely for disaster calls and she's ready to go. She knows the guidelines really well and she's very friendly and she will help. There's also another, you know, there's a huge team on hand. We, we really want to be there to help people. So just call us. 